You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Forcecom Frontline. I'm Dean, and I'm your host today. We've spent a lot of time talking about every aspect of readiness in our episodes this year, so we wanted to change it up a bit. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to one of Forcecom's chaplains. Chaplain David Curlin is the Forcecom Chief of Operations and Sustainment Chaplain. He commissioned as an infantry officer in 1990, following his first assignment in Vincenza, Italy. Did six years of missionary service in Albania, which I'm excited to talk about a bit. He returned to active duty in 2003 as an Army chaplain endorsed by the Anglican Church of North America. But the reason we wanted to introduce you to Chaplain Curlin is because of his unique delivery. Take a listen. All right. Who you gonna call when you're down and feeling blue? Who you gonna call when you don't know what to do? Who you gonna call when life has lost its meaning? Who you gonna call when everyone is screaming? Call your chaplain. Who you gonna call when your joy is great unbounded? Who you gonna call when you find your fears unfounded? Who you gonna call when you have good news to share? Who you gonna call when you had a little scare? Call your chaplain. Who you gonna call when you miss that prize promotion? Who you gonna call when your life is all commotion? Who you gonna call when your kids just make you mad? Who you gonna call when your spouse has made you sad? Call your chaplain. Who you gonna call when you're looking for communion? Who you gonna call when you've had a sweet reunion? Who you gonna call when your heart just wants to sing? Who you gonna call when you want your tithe to bring? Call your chaplain. Who you gonna call when you have an SIR? Who you gonna call when you don't know where you are? Who you gonna call when doubt just plagues your mind? Who you gonna call when the answer you just can't find? Call your chaplain. Who you gonna call if you think faith's but a joke? Who you gonna call if your religion's being woke? Who you gonna call if you're a skeptic through and through? Who you gonna call if the chaplain's not for you? Call your chaplain. Who you gonna call when the battle begins to rage? Who you gonna call when you're locked up in a cage? Who you gonna call when you come up on the blotter? Who you gonna call when they say you're profile fodder? Call your chaplain. Who you gonna call when the doctor shakes his head? Who you gonna call when you're dying in your bed? Who you gonna call when the tears begin to flow? Who you gonna call when they say it's time to go? Call your chaplain. Epilogue. And if your chaplain can't fit the bill, Take a moment and be still. Lift your eyes to God above. He will shelter you in his love. The chaplain represents the king. The chaplain's not the end, the thing. So join your chaplains in daily prayer. Their God does hear you, this I swear. Be blessed, Forcecom, from your chaplain section. God be with you till the resurrection. And all God's people said, Amen. So the first time we uh, we spoke to uh, Chaplain Curlin, we were excited and wanted to get him on the podcast. So thank you, Chaplain, for doing this, yeah. taking the time. We hope to get to know you a little bit more after this episode of the podcast. It's uh, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you for asking me. So uh, let's just start with uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up becoming an Army, Army, Army Chaplain? Because I don't think that was the MOS you actually joined. No, it wasn't. Do. And so like probably most people today, um, we don't always end up where we thought we would end up. Uh, as a child, uh, I read a lot of missionary biographies, and they were these amazing stories of men and women going into the jungles of the world and risking their lives to 
share the love of God with people. And so as a young boy, I decided, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to be a missionary. And uh, I, I didn't really waver from that. I was on my way to college, and uh, I was visiting the college where I would attend my senior year, and there was an ROTC table. And they asked me if I wanted to apply for a scholarship. And I said, what's ROTC? And I go, oh, reserve officer training. So I filled out the packet, and lo and behold, got a scholarship, um, which changed my trajectory for a little bit. I ended up uh, commissioning as an infantry officer, um, going and serving with 3rd of the 325 in Vincenzo, Italy, uh, who, John Abizade, who later became, uh, you know, the CENTCOM commander, uh, was my first battalion commander, but that was a great experience. And while I was there, I found out about Albania. Um, and so that renewed that early call. And, uh, so I decided to resign my commission once I had completed my commitment and go work as a missionary in Albania. The walls had just fallen during that time. And so it was the wild west. It really met that bill for adventure. Um, and, uh, so was in Albania for several years and it was, uh, while I was serving in Albania fairly happily that, uh, the army reached out to me through email and asked if I was interested in becoming an army chaplain. This was uh, early 2002. And, you know, I said, no, not interested. Uh, but I later had a friend call me and said, David, you know, being a, being a chaplain is real missionary work. They got their own language, their own culture. Um, I encourage you to think about it. There's some great opportunities for a chaplain. And so planted the seed. And about six months later, I wrote back that email again. I didn't know who I was writing to. I'm like, hey, you know, you reached out to me. I'm interested in being a chaplain. And uh, so the rest is history. I ended up... Uh, actually flying over from Albania for my interview, my chaplain interview, and uh, began as a chaplain in uh, 2003. So off topic, though, you mentioned about uh, being in Vincenza, Italy. Was there any awesome sights you got to see while you were there? Yeah, as you know, Vincenza is right between, uh, it's right between Verona and Venice. I think it's about 30 minutes from each. And so those are, of course, amazing places. And then, you know, you're an hour and a half from the Italian Alps, and only about two hours from the Swiss Alps, and you have some of the best beaches in the world, and Rome is five hours away. It was, uh, it was an amazing experience. <laughs> so, all right, back on topic. Okay, so you've, you've got a unique way of delivering invocations. Uh, can you talk about how that all started? Yeah, so, you know, the chaplains um, and, and the many staff meetings that occur, um, chaplains are often the staff officer that maybe doesn't have a specified role that they're briefing. And so, um, you know, I imagine it began well, but many chaplains experience the word of the day as a somewhat patronizing moment. You know, give the chaplain his moment so he's not the only one who doesn't have anything to say. And uh, so from, from the earliest, you know, from my first few months in the Army, I wrestled with how do I say something that's relevant in what's generally a short time. You know, they want you to speak in maybe a minute to a minute and a half. And so, like many people, I began with the old dead guy quotes. Um, and yeah, I was like, ah, it just didn't feel very good. You know, it just felt really, really um, like I was falling into that patronizing kind of sense. And so I, I, read, I tried different things. I mean, I tried a, a song here and there and tried to create some stuff and had some success here and there, but really never got it. And when I went to, uh, when I went to Korea... Um, the commander there said, we're not going to have the chaplain speak because the guy before, great guy, but was doing old dead guy quotes. And oh. he's like, hey, we don't really need that. So my boss, Dave Bolas, over his, who's over at USASOC, um, he said, hey, give me a chance and I will, and if you don't like what I do, then I'll put it up. Long story short, he figured out how to do a sermon in a minute and a half. 
with a great illustration, and I can't go into all that, but he kind of recovered the moment. So it went from, we'll give the chaplain a token moment once a week to, chaplain, will you speak every time? I mean, people were waiting on the edge of their seat for the chaplains to share. And uh, so we're like, wow, this, what, every day that's wiping us out. So we ended up kind of settling it uh, at twice a week. But when the rhyme began was, uh, my buddy came up to me, a guy named Eric Dean, Chaplain Eric Dean. He said, Dave, I dare you to do the word of the day, Corona be gonna. And uh, so I tried, you know, but it was kind of serious. It was Korea. They were taking it very serious. I wrestled with Corona Begona, but I couldn't, I couldn't quite pull it off. But I, I said, you know, let me try some of this other rhyme and meter. And so I began and I just was met with rave reviews. Um, and so I started, I'm like, wow, that was kind of nice to get that much response. And I began to do it there, uh, typically the word of the day. And then one time I said, you know what? I wonder if I do an invocation in rhyme and meter. Um, and again, it just, it hit the mark. I mean, people were listening. It was, you know, normally when people do an invocation, you're like, oh, that, that was nice, Chaplain. You said something about God. And anyways, thank you. But this one would, it was totally different. People would respond and go, wow, that was so personal. And that was, you know, that was very memorable. That was one of the highlights of the whole service. And so I've just kind of stuck with it. Um, and I do some, I still try to vary it up some so it's not all rhyme and meter, right. but uh, rhyme and meter works. And then the final thing is you can say a lot of things in rhyme and meter that you can't say if you try to use prose. And that is you can address more difficult topics, but because it's in a poetic form, um, people's defenses are down and they're not, uh, they're not as resistant. And so you can address topics that you otherwise wouldn't address if you use rhyme and meter. So you mentioned about poetry then. Is there any kind of background in poetry, things you've you know, read or wrote? As a kid, no real strong background in poetry. Though I, you know, I, I, liked, I had some poems that I liked here and there. Um, but as a kid, I loved Dr. Seuss books, <laughs> as you know, who picks up the alliteration and the rhyme. And then I loved Uncle Remus. Uh, my mom would read all these Uncle Remus stories, and he also had a real alliteration and a gift with language. So I love stories that picked up the sound of language. And I had that as a boy. Um, you know, I, back, I guess when I was a kid, the first rappers were like Run DMC and the others. So I remember yeah. they were telling stories, right, in <laughs> rhyme and meter. And I always thought that was really attractive. Um, and I guess that combination of kind of the rap, the Uncle Remus, um, Dr. Seuss all kind of came together to come up with my own kind of style. So you have, have you done this in front of a, like a large congregation or is it? Been... I have, um, okay. I've done it, but I've never done like a full, cause it, it's a little more work, right? So, I mean, to go for, let's say a 15 minute homily in rhyme and meter, I haven't done that. But you know, when you asked me that question, I'm like, you know, I'm going to try that here. I'm, I'm going to do the hard work to do it. I've, I've done sections, so I'll, I'll break off, and I'll, I often will open up with an introduction um, with a poem. And again, you find you just hook people right away, and then you get to spend the next 12 to 14 minutes unpacking kind of the meat of what you said in the first minute, which really hooks people. So I'll begin with a, I'll begin with a poem and then uh, conclude with the same idea after I've unpacked it. And I've had a lot of people say they really like it. It almost sounds like a play. It's kind of, a, I don't want to say a song and dance, but you're kind of it working is. through the crowd and it is seeing how they respond. And then it really is. You, you know, I think and from, from years of doing words of the day and invocations where you saw it's just not touching anybody. It's not that people were actually physically resistant so much, although that was occasionally, that occasionally happened. But it was just a sense that I'm, I'm speaking irrelevance. Nobody's listening. Um, and it's not because they're bad. It's just, it's the, 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 the mode is it's not engaging people. And I've found that this mode is, is 
much more engaging. There's some people who've criticized it. They're like, hey, that's sacrilegious. Are you trying to show off? Um, and, you know, and that's fair uh, for them to do that. But I've, my comment has been, no, I'm not trying to do either one of those. I'm trying to connect. You know, I don't like, I don't want to talk into thin air. I'd like to leave a deposit that people remember and that can, you know, be of encouragement. And so for the most part, I think probably 95% it's been encouragement. So there's always, of course, there's always people that don't like change. Yeah. But uh, do you, is it more positive for an older crowd or, or negative? Is it, you know, does it, is there one specific where you kind of go, yeah, maybe this isn't the right crowd? You know, for the most part, it's actually been a fairly universal applause. Like I said, I've heard a few, few voices, gotten a stray email here and there that that was a little <laughs> sacrilegious. Um, though that's certainly, I try to avoid that. You could be, but I, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of not wanting to say anything that's not true or that's demeaning or that, that, um, you know, portrays God in a, in a flippant light. I would never want to do that. Um, but I think it's been by, again, I went years and hardly got any comments. And then all of a sudden I went to this and every time that I use this medium, I'll get five or six or more people through emails and others saying, wow, thank you. That was really good. So, so what do your fellow chaplains think of this? You know, I have, I've had a lot of people say, uh, wow, I would love to do that. I think part of it's personality. And so you don't want to be who you, you know, you can't be somebody that you're not. Um, and maybe because I'm kind of loud and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of out there kind of person. I can do it with maybe more authenticity than someone else who who might have the skill. It's not very hard once you get it. And then, of course, you can go on the computer um, and people are like, oh, you got such a big vocabulary. I'm like, I go to Rhyme Finder. I start doing it, and, you know, just pull it up. So it's not a very hard um, medium to use, but I think it has to be true to who you are. And like I said, I've always been a storyteller. I spent hours reading the Dr. Seuss books, both to my little brothers and sisters. I still love them myself. And yeah. I like this mode. Um, you know, the, the good rap artists, when they really lay a good, you know, whether it's Kanye or whatever, you know, I still love that medium of effective communication. Uh, you know, you're my Chick-fil-A. I mean, that, that just, every time I get that, I think it got, and it's like a simple, simple thing, closed on Sundays, you know, uh, this idea of giving glory to God. And, I, and so I've just tried to translate that into, um, into a military context and, and use it. That's awesome. I'm moving down. I'm trying yeah. to, you know, Great. <laughs> uh, so we came into this episode conversation asking about your story. Uh, I guess we'd be re a little remiss if we didn't ask you what, what, uh, what available resources that chaplains provide to, to soldiers mm -hmm. and, and their families. So chaplains have a really unique role. One of the great attractions of the chaplain corps, particularly the army is the army uses the chaplain is the frontline provider. You know, we're the first responder. So whatever your problem, it is a cultural phenomenon in the military that you'll often be sent to your chaplain. And, you know, that can be met with, uh, well, I'm not religious. And increasingly, commanders say, we don't care if you're religious. The chaplain will tell you where to go. Uh, you know, commanders and others don't have the time to be up on every resource the Army offers. Um, and the chaplain is expected to have the wherewithal in the background to take those people um, what, whatever their problem may be, and point them in the right direction. So some people, um, they, they want a particular, they're actually a, a very small minority of people want a specifically religious answer to their problem. Okay. Um, a greater percentage are looking for wisdom. 
and chaplains are usually pretty good resources of what I would say wisdom literature, um, the kind of things that you know that you gain just from living a few years. Are at the average starting age for a chaplain is 37. So, you know, we're almost we're almost a generation older than the soldiers that we serve. You learn a lot if you're paying attention in that. And so chaplains give a lot of just that life counsel. Um, and then, as I said, we are expected to know all the other resources the Army has, and we're expected to be able to pass people out to the psychologist or to mental health or to go get a finance class at ACS or to go to whatever hotline or where to go if they need to you know, they're, they're frustrated because their spouse can't find a job. We're expected to know what's in the community and be able to point people in the right direction. Now, it's great to be able to have the resources. You find it, if you had that background, maybe you went to school for that, uh, mental health or something like that would be more helpful, or do you think it would be kind of getting away? You know, that's a good question. Um, and one of the surprises that chaplains find in the Army, on the outside, mental health providers and the clergy can sometimes be at odds. We come with a di oftentimes it is assumed that we come with different presuppositions. However, that's not true in the army. Um, for whatever reason, the mental health providers in the army and the chaplains get along quite well. And um, I don't sense in general an antagonism toward the spiritual perspective of our mental health providers. Um, as you know, there are more chaplains than there are mental health providers. Oh, I so did not know that. There are. And so mental health folks get overwhelmed. Um, oftentimes there'll be one for a brigade where there'll be like seven or eight chaplains, and they're getting the hardest cases, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, if, if, if the chaplain's passing off someone to you, it's because, man, he doesn't want anything to do with it. It's like <laughs> a, you know one of those almost intractable cases. Um, so they have oftentimes, I think, a more demanding and difficult job. Yeah. Um, I would say that one reason that chaplains continue, it may change and, and probably is changing, but one reason chaplains get more traffic than mental health folks is typically mental health treats you as a patient. Chaplains treat you as a fellow struggler. You know, I've been there. So you're not a patient. You're just somebody getting counsel from an older brother or a father figure or, you know, a sister. Um, and I think that makes the chaplain more accessible. It doesn't feel... Um, you don't feel like a patient. Right, and I think right. people are reluctant to feel like patients. Um, though, for those who do do that, I mean, again, our mental health folks are, are wonderful. So what would be misconceptions then people think about chaplain? Because that's so perfectly Yeah, I think that, that the big misconception, and it's not always a misconception. I mean, there, it's happened enough that they're, um, let, me, let me back up. So a lot of people have been burned by their religious communities in life. It is remarkable when you start going and listening to the stories of soldiers how many people have a very bad experience with their church, with their youth leader, with their spiritual parents. I mean, you name it. There are a lot more negative stories than there are positive stories. So that's sad. And, it, and obviously, as a chaplain, you represent in some way that bad experience. Um, and there are a handful of chaplains that reinforce that. But by and large... Um, the chaplain corps today, it's better than it's ever been in its history. Um, we have more sharp men and women uh, who are feeling the call. I think part of it is because of the decline of the church in America. You know, the church is really experiencing some hard times. So that, I think, opens up mm. a larger pool of very gifted people who want to come in and serve as chaplains. And so the misconceptions exist is that your chaplain's going to be like that bad old whoever who you know you grew up in, who's going to look out at the world and declare its sins and how terrible everybody is. 
Um, I think most chaplains are increasingly good listeners. Um, I think they are oftentimes willing to hear people's stories and withhold comment and last ask for a comment. Um, and, uh, and so I think, uh, many people are reluctant to go and receive the help that a, a chaplain could get because they, um, because they've had a bad prior experience and they cast that perception onto the chaplain, whoever he or she may be. Um, I think once that's overcome, a lot of people are surprised at what good guides, friends, and counselors chaplains are. So I guess with the whole Corona be gone thing, uh, was it a lot more difficult for you to uh, get get together with the congregation, or was it? It was. So I mean, what what it is was. it? How did you how do you get get the word out there? So I mean, this is probably common knowledge, but you know, the church in America lost twenty percent of its people. Wow. I mean, that's a huge two year loss, almost without precedent. There, the loss was bigger than that, um, but some people think it may be a permanent loss of 20% of the people. Um, as you know, one of the big attractions of the church, one of the big draws is community. And if you can't come together, you can't have community. I mean, this is going to be a good medium, right? This is better than anybody reading an article mm -hmm. here, but it's not going to be like sitting around with friends. And uh, the church having that two-year period where, you know, almost a full year where churches were highly restricted, not allowed to meet together, yeah. people went and found other outs. Right. And, um, and so it damaged the church significantly. The church is still dealing with that damage. And then this is the irony. When the church is damaged, the communities are damaged because mm. I don't know of any other part in our American culture or any other culture that brings as diverse a group of people together as the church does and builds community. And so I think uh, as a nation, as the church has declined, and, and not just the church, but community events, you know, if you look at military-based organizations, they're not, this younger generation's not a part of them in a way that the older generation was. Yeah. Um, we ultimately, I think, we're going to see that it's a bitter fruit over time because communities solve so many problems. And we know whether it's suicide or most of the, the problems that we're trying to get out, get at after the army, they're, they're community breakdown problems. Um, and so, yes, it did hurt the church. And are there any, uh, <laughs> so change subject. Yeah. Uh, I, we talked about the resources earlier. I'm, I've been off script for a while now, but anyway, uh, so some of the online resources, do you, is there any online resources, uh, websites or something specific that people can check out or, you know, off the top of my head, I can't give you the exact digital address. Um, but we, I, I can, we can probably yeah. post them in the notes or I can put them on the screen. Okay. I think that one of the amazing one of the amazing realities of the modern world is there is nothing, there is no topic of interest that is not available for free somewhere on the internet. I mean, whether it's TED Talks, whether it is um, Christian community online, whether it's apologetics, which is the defense of Christianity or Islam or Buddhism, pick it whatever you want to do it. There's somebody out there giving you high quality material. Uh, to help you deal with your problems. You know, diet, exercise, marriage relationship advice. Um, it is all there. And so I think I think the big problem with us moderns is we, we're drowning in the deluge of information. Yeah. And the reality is you have to narrow your focus on the information to have any benefit from it. So if you're, you know, drinking from the fire hose, so to speak, you can't drink anything, right? There's too much coming at you. And I think that we have a serious challenge in the modern world that we have such a flow of information. 
um, that people don't process anything. And so they almost, they get numb to it, so to speak. And then they just go distract themselves. Let me just go watch YouTube videos of whatever, bike crashes, motorcycle crashes, you <laughs> know, whatever cats, it is. Cats falling down or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, because there is a sense of, I can't process all the information. Yeah. So I think we covered a lot. Is there anything maybe you want to talk about that I haven't gone over? I'm sure there's a million things. You know, I think the main point that I would like to get across to the broader audience is um, don't be passive in your pursuit of truth. Um, pursue truth. Almost all the people we remember from antiquity for peop were people who took very seriously trying to figure out what is the nature of reality, what is true, what is good, what is right? What does it mean to live your life well? If you're just absorbing kind of from sitcoms and TV shows and the general milieu of, of TV, you know, talk TV, you're not going to absorb a lot of wisdom. And life is comfortable enough now. There's generally enough money um, that people can live in climate control, you know, get to the, get to the TV or the computer, whether with their box of Doritos and M&Ms and just kind of like veg out your life away. You know, that blue pill from the matrix that you could take, you can take the blue pill today. In fact, I would say increasingly larger numbers of people are taking the blue pill. And so I, I preach it to myself and I would want to challenge anybody, um, out there in the listening audience, take seriously thinking deeply about the nature of truth, reality, and meaning. And then my final caveat to that is, you know, Jesus told the story um, when, when people were thinking, you know, how, how judgmental we should be, how much should we help our neighbor to see the truth. He said, I just got one piece of advice for you. Take the plank out of your eye before you get the speck out of your neighbors. And I think as a culture, as a person, every one of us can benefit from learning to do a lot more listening, from being much more self-aware of our own issues, being much more generous with other people. Because if you're pursuing truth and wisdom, you need to have a high degree of self-awareness of all the junk you're bringing to the table and be less concerned about, you know, the specs in other people's eyes. Well, Chaplain, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. It's been a pleasure. I hope uh, a lot of people got something out of this episode. I know I did. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks. We'll be back next week with another new episode. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can watch full video episodes of each podcast on YouTube. And we'll see you next time on The Frontline. Line.